1: Welcome to True Crime Garage, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me is a man that learned everything he knows from a one Ben Kenobi. The Force is strong with this one. He is the Captain.
2: May the Force be with you all. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. It's good to see you, Captain.
1: Vacations? The sponsors said there will be no vacations, so we're back at it again here in the garage today. This week we are drinking Lake Erie Monster by the Great Lakes Brewing Company. Garage grade, three and three quarter bottle caps out of five. Lake Erie Monster is an unfiltered Imperial India Pale Ale with huge hop flavor. Lake Erie Monster was captured and brought to the garage by these outstandingly wonderful peeps. First we have Hope in new south wales australia like your jib. next we have jason and roberts wisconsin like your jib. jason says he likes the show because we add some some hops to the true crime stories yet remain respectful of the victims and their families next up oh you don't you do not have to put on the red light roxanne we have roxanne and down down in austin texas I'm sure she's never heard that one before,
2: Captain.
1: Next, we have Caddy in Atlanta. We also have Fanny in Sweden. And we want to say hi to Albert in Concord, California. Mm -hmm. Let's go up north. We have Sam in Alberta, Canada. And last but not least, we have Melissa from Oceanside, California. Melissa says the captain can sing sweet murder lullabies to her anytime. I don't I don't know what <laughs> That's that is. That's
2: just a little too creepy for me.
1: I don't think they write murder l- lullabies, do they?
2: Well, maybe they should. Anyways, thanks for the support. Thanks for donating and you can do so by going to our website truecrimegarage.com, click on the donate banner, and we get to fill up the refrigerator in the garage and like always we like your jib. So welcome to season four, Captain. You know, last
1: week we joked around at the end of season three that we were going to take this big, long break. And Two and a
2: half years. We we we,
1: <laughs> we thought that everybody would get it. And we we want to be out there working hard for you guys because we know you are out there working hard. You're commuting. You're listening to the show. You're doing your part. We're in the garage doing our part. So. Yeah,
2: are you doing chores around the house? However you listen to the show.
1: We like your jib. We like your jib. For all things True Crime Garage, go to TrueCrimeGarage.com. And for social media, check us out at True Crime Garage.
2: And that's enough for the business.
1: That's right. Gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer, and let's talk some true crime. This is True Crime Garage. And this is the case of Beverly Potts. Beverly Rose Potts. Age, 10 years old. Height 4 foot 11 and weight about 90 pounds. Classification Endangered Missing. Missing since August 24th, 1951, from Cleveland, Ohio. Beverly is a Caucasian female with blonde hair and blue eyes. She had her hair cut as a short bob with bangs. She was wearing blue denim jeans and a reddish-pink turtleneck jersey with a navy blue poplin jacket and brown Carrybrook sports shoes loafers. The last confirmed sighting of Beverly was at 9.30 p.m at Holleran Park. She was last seen walking in the direction of her home. Beverly Rose Potts age 10 years old height 4 foot 11 and weight about 90 pounds. Classification Endangered Missing Missing since August 24th, 1951, from Cleveland, Ohio. This is True Crime Garage. And this is the case of Beverly Potts. This is Friday, August 24th, 1951. Beverly Potts is 10 years old and she's living with her mom, dad, and sister on Lynette Avenue in Cleveland, Ohio. Now this is on the west side of Cleveland and it's summertime. So Beverly, she is enjoying the last few weeks of her summer break before she returns to school. She was due to enter the fifth grade that year. Beverly is quite excited about the weekend. She has already had some plans scheduled. She's planned to go with her sister and mother and father on Saturday. Beverly's sister lived, as we said, at the home with the family, but she was quite a bit older than Beverly. Beverly's sister, Anita, was 22 years old at the time, and the two of them lived with the parents, and they were going to go to Euclid Beach Park for an all-day outing on that Saturday.
2: So that's like a 12-year difference, so... she's she's probably like an accidental baby
1: possibly possibly but to add to her excitement that Friday afternoon Beverly had learned that the show wagon was coming to nearby Holleran Park now the show wagon is sponsored by the Recreation League and the Cleveland Press and it Mm -hmm. was a kind of a summer tradition the show wagon was a group of singers dancers musicians
2: musicians
1: and magicians I kind of just rolled those words together
2: He made up a new word
1: And other performers that traveled around to Cleveland, uh, to the different neighborhoods in Cleveland in the summer months, doing free performances at local playgrounds and other public venues.
2: So it's kind of like an arts festival type thing.
1: Yeah, and this had become one of Beverly's favorite summertime activities. Now, on this Friday, Beverly was excited, of course, uh, but she was also a little bit nervous because she was going to need to ask permission to go to this performance And she was currently in trouble with her parents. Mm -hmm. Her mother had grounded her from going to Holleran Park for two weeks because she had went there earlier and she had stayed out much later than she was allowed to. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even though she was grounded, her mother is going to let her go see the show wagon. And Beverly is going to go with her best friend and next door neighbor, Patricia Swing.
2: Well, this is around the time. Uh, I mean, even in the eighties, it was kind of a thing. So I'm assuming this was kind of the same thing in the fifties where your parents would say, yeah, go out with your friends, ride your bikes, do whatever you got to do. But Hey, when the streetlights come on, get home mm-hmm. or even before that, once you start seeing that, that it's getting dark, get home.
1: And not only for, you know, for the teenagers, but for some of the younger kids as well, this is also kind of a social event, right? Because mm-hmm. you go there and there's going to be other kids your age You haven't seen some of those kids because of the summer break. You catch up with them. You say hi. Maybe you hope to see the the boy or the girl that you like or, you know, some friends that you haven't seen all summer long. Uh, After dinner, Beverly is helping her mother clean up and dry the dishes. And for her efforts, her mother, Elizabeth, gives Beverly a nickel for helping out. Around 7 p.m., Beverly and Patricia leave to go off to the park to see the show wagon. Now, they leave their homes on their bikes Uh, And Holloran park is only about an eighth of a mile from their homes on Lynette Avenue. Mm -hmm. Hollerin park stretches for about three blocks from West 117th to West 120th Avenue.
2: Yeah. But when you're like 10 years old, 12 years old, 15, you know, all that stuff before you can drive your bike is a big deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's your, that's Your your means of
1: transportation, right? So this is a, the, the park itself is a 13 acre civic, Recreational area with baseball diamonds, basketball courts, uh, trapeze bars, and a shelter house. Uh, the park was named for William Holleran, who was a sailor that was killed on the USS Arizona mm-hmm. in, uh, at uh, Pearl Harbor. Aye, aye, Captain. So the girls leave for the park on their bikes, uh, but it's estimated that there were about 1,500 people at the park that evening. So the girls want to get off their bikes and get a good spot so they can see the performance. Well, they decide that it's going to be very difficult to watch the performance and all the while keeping an eye on their bicycles. So they go home and they leave their bikes and return to Holleran Park on foot. They arrive at the park around 8 p.m. Uh, Patricia would later report that the two young girls didn't really talk to very many people while they were there. So this mm-hmm. this was something they thought might be a social event and it didn't turn out to be very social for them. They arrived at 8 p.m. Now around 8:40 p.m. It's starting to get dark out and Patricia is trying to get Beverly to leave and go home as Patricia is supposed to be home by dark. Like the captain said make sure you're home by dark. Uh, it's starting to get dark and she wants to leave, but Beverly informs her that uh, she has been given permission to stay until the performance is over. I'm guessing her parents probably didn't know exactly how late this would right, would go right. because we're talking about two young girls that are you know, well, roughly 10 years old.
2: Yeah, it sounds like Bever- Beverly is trying to stay out on a technicality.
1: Yeah, and she's no. already gotten in trouble for doing this once, <laughs> so maybe, she, maybe this is something she's pretty good at. Uh, but she, she tells Patricia, you know, I'm allowed to stay until until this whole thing's over. Uh, so Patricia leaves. You know, she doesn't want to get in trouble with her parents. She decides to go home, leaving her friend to enjoy the show wagon performance by herself. Patricia stared, uh, started walking home, and her last memory of Beverly is of her standing there watching the show with a plump little woman. This is the young girl's words. The plump, a plump little woman standing behind her mm. with one hand on her shoulder and the other holding a small child. Uh, you know, w- I've got to cut in here for a second because I always found this to be
2: to <laughs> cut in on yourself. I'm going to cut in.
1: I got to interrupt myself. interrupt myself. I always found this to be weird because they, they said that mm. they didn't talk to. I always found you weird. Talk to hardly anybody while they were there. Mm-hmm. And yet she sees this woman standing behind her friend with, with the hand on the shoulder. So this must be somebody she knows or feels comfortable with. And the plump little woman is holding a small child in the other hand. It, it, it so, so always the, intrigued me that, that this li- was somebody that Patricia says she didn't speak to and she didn't mm-hmm. recognize, obviously didn't know the person's name if she's just giving a description of the right. woman.
2: but but is it clear that, I mean, you say the hand is on a shoulder he didn't say the hand is on Beverly's shoulder.
1: That's what that's what it sounds like from Patricia's account, that the woman had her hand on Beverly's
2: shoulder. Yeah, that's odd. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's, again, seeing how they didn't supposedly talk to anybody that evening. Uh, Beverly's family, they are at home, as we said, an eighth of a mile away. Uh, Patricia arrives home safely. She's the next-door neighbor. She arrives home safely at 9 p.m., and she mm-hmm. never sees her friend Beverly again after that. Now, the, the family is, is watching. This is Beverly's family. They're at home, uh, all of them. It's the father, Robert, mother, Elizabeth, and the older sister, Anita. They're at mm-hmm. home watching the Indians-Yankees game. Uh, this is I would imagine this is probably what a lot of people, what a, a lot of the grown-ups were doing that evening because mm-hmm. uh, we know how big baseball is in Cleveland, and we, we all know how much the Clevelanders dislike the New York Yankees. Um, and I think they were in a pretty heated race that year.
2: I, I wonder if they're actually watching or if they're actually just listening to it on the radio.
1: Well, they were watching it because, uh, you know, TVs were relatively new at the time. So I imagine most of the people that had a TV at the time would have been at home uh, watching this game on that evening. Uh, it's around 930 and they're starting to get nervous because they've not seen Beverly. She's not mm-hmm. returned. So they have Anita, Anita, the older sister calls the swing household and ask about Beverly and, and she's told, you know, yeah, uh, Patricia came home, but she came home alone and she's been here for, you know, a little over half an hour now. Um, and we don't know where Beverly is now.
2: now well, here's what's weird too, is if they rode their bikes there first and then they, then they went back to Beverly's house, right? To mm-hmm. drop off the bikes. So then her, her friend doesn't go back and pick up her bike. She just walks home.
1: Well, they live next door. So presumably they, they just went home and returned their bikes to their houses and then left immediately. I wasn't clear on that. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I said they were neighbors, but they were actually next door neighbors.
2: Right. So they're, they're also kind of friends by proximity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Age and proximity. Um, this raises the alarm. Okay, because now now their daughter's not home, but they're extremely worried because now they know that she's probably alone, and that her friend, you know, strength in numbers, right, is is now returned home, and Beverly's not there. So Mr. Potts uh, decides he's going to go to the park, and he's going to look for his daughter, and he would gather up a couple neighbors to go to the park with him. As we said, this park is roughly 13 acres, so it's it's fairly decent size. and it's dark out now. And I've I've also read some descriptions of the neighborhood stating that they had several large trees, like lots of large trees mm-hmm. on the streets of these neighborhoods. So even though they had street lights, they said that the, the park and the streets themselves were particularly dark because those trees covered up a lot of the lighting.
2: Yeah. You'll see that now of days when they build like a new housing development. Mm -hmm. Like it seems pretty bright and you can see everything because the trees aren't mature yet. And then once that neighborhood becomes mature, you realize, wow, this really gets a lot darker than than it it once was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So they Mr. Potts and some of the neighbors, they search the park uh, looking for Beverly. And after searching for about an hour or so, they call the police. So we have things happening at a very quick pace here. Um, You know, we have the the girls arrive at the park around 8. Patricia leaves around 8.40. She's at home close to 9 o'clock. 9.30, the family realizes that Beverly's not where she should be. And within an hour of 9.30, the father, along with a few other people, have searched the park, and they've called the police, and the police are quick to respond.
2: So now we have this 10-year-old, you know, that went missing. She just went to this event. Her parents can't find her. So they go looking for her. They get the police involved. And now we got to start figuring out all the little details. And they start normally by, you know, the description of the individual.
1: Yeah, typically they're going to want the parents to tell them as much as they can about the child, what they were last seen wearing, what they left the house in.
2: Well, and the fact that, you know, she just left the house a little bit ago. Mm -hmm. So it's not like she left for school in the morning and we haven't seen her since. What was she wearing? I can't remember. I mean, she left the house, you know, under two hours ago.
1: And we gave a description of of her in the trailer, but there there's a little more detail to it. So I'll go through that now. Um, as we said, she's 10 years old, height and weight. She's about 4 foot 11, 90 pounds. Uh, she's described as a Caucasian female with blonde hair, blue eyes. And she had recently cut her hair to a short bob with bangs uh, shortly before the d- disappearance. Now, if you look up images of Beverly Potts, you will see the the typical image that comes up first is of her where she appears to be a little bit younger and she has long hair. Um, and because these are black and white photos, it appears that she has dark hair, but her description clearly says blonde hair. And then you'll see more recent photos of her with the, the shorter haircut. Some of her distinguishing characteristics, uh, she has wide set eyes and gaps between her teeth and her upper and lower molars have sil- silver fillings in them. Uh, she has a vaccination scar on her upper left arm and a small scar over her left eyebrow and a kidney-shaped birthmark about one inch long and three-eighths of an inch wide on her instep. Now, one thing that that is often described about uh beverly when when you look up her case and look into her case is Mm. that she had a very distinctive walk um it's described as duck like you know she kind of walked with her toes pointing outward and and this must have been very obvious to everyone because it's mentioned time and time again when they talk about her disappearance
2: so she was opposite of the captain because the captain walked you you walked pigeon yeah yeah nobody Uh, ever told me either
1: So you never corrected it? No. Uh, As said, she had that distinctive walk where she would walk with her toes pointed out. Uh, She was considered tall for her age uh, at the time of her Mm -hmm. disappearance. And now looking back, uh, you know, they continue to give her description, you know, from time to time. And one thing that they've included, you know, years afterward would be that they suspect she would have grown to be a tall adult. Uh, her clothing and jewelry description at the time that she went missing, she was believed to be wearing size 14 or 16 uh, pants. These were girls' uh, blue denim jeans uh, with the side zipper um, and yeah. a bright, re- it says bright red cotton panties um, with no tag and elastic around the waist, but no elastic around the leg holes. She was wearing green socks and, um, a white cotton Honey Lane under t-shirt uh, with a tag, a reddish pink turtleneck jersey with no label, a navy blue poplin jacket with no label, both pockets torn, uh, size five or five and a half, mm-hmm. brown Carrybrook sports shoes, these are loafer style shoes, uh, which had been resold and heeled. Uh, she also had two metal hair clasps, with a brown plas- with brown plastic covers mm-hmm. and a yellow gold ring. This ring is similar to like a wedding ring and it has spaces for seven or eight small stones, but the stones were
2: all missing. Right. So probably something that a family member had and they just handed it to her and she was as happy to have that little ring as as a ten year old. So I wonder if they knew all this information uh based on like I mean, it is what, fifty one? Yeah. Right? So you know, the mom's probably laying out your clothes. I mean that you kind of go through that as a child. It's like you wake up and there's like an outfit laid out for you, you know? And then you turn 16 and you stop wearing those outfits.
1: Well, and you know, when I first came across this case and looked into it, I thought the description of her clothes was very strange because it's very specific. I mean, even town, like it's a,
2: they're a little, the no tag thing is weird. Did the mom, pull out tags of things. Yeah. That's
1: I, I, that's what I'm guessing because I found it strange that the, the size of the pants were either 14 or 16. Mm -hmm. Um, but then we go into details, whether we know what, what clothing had tags and what didn't have a tag. However, when I got to thinking about it, you know, not every size 14 is the same 14 for every pair of pants or every make of pants. Right. Right. Uh, So she may have wore 14 of ones and 16s of others. But as you said, the no tag thing is a little bit weird. And I always found it very strange that the bright red cotton panties were listed there. But now again,
2: like if the mom is helping her pick out outfits. And
1: and I think that's probably exactly what was going on because Mr. Potts, he was a stagehand. He he had a full time job Mm -hmm. and Elizabeth Potts, his wife. She was a stay-at-home. She was a homemaker,
2: stay-at-home mom. Yeah, which is more common back then.
1: Yeah, so uh, she probably had a very good idea of exactly what the girl was wearing because, as the captain said, she might have been responsible for setting these clothes out for Beverly in the morning time. Or, uh, you know, she was probably up on the laundry, you know, what? what's getting washed when and, and when right, things are right. getting used and, and making sure that her daughter is dressed appropriately. So I do commend the parents for being able to provide such a detailed description because sometimes when children go missing, uh, there are valuable minutes and hours lost because sometimes people don't have an up-to-date picture of their child or they don't have a great idea of what the kid may have been wearing that day or, you know, these little details do matter. And when you're trying to piece them together and provide the police with information, you could lose valuable time here trying to recall these, these things and, and kind of asking others, you know, what was she wearing?
2: Yeah. And if you don't pay attention to what, like you said, what she wear, what she's wearing when she left for this event and then, you know, she's wearing some jacket that they find later and and you, you have, is this her jacket? I don't know. I have no clue. Right. Uh, And then that's where then you is this jacket elite lead or not. So, yeah, I mean, it's very important kind of mental checks of that stuff.
1: So that's a more in-depth, more detailed Mm -hmm. description of the items that she was wearing and her distinguishing characteristics. And now we are on to the search.
2: Before the search, let's take a quick.
1: The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have. In a mobile game, everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go, for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out
0: how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule.
1: With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian-approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious, from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code true crime garage 50 at factormeals.com com slash true crime garage five zero to get 50% off your first box. Plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active
2: for break. All right. That's a nice word from the sponsors. And if it wasn't for them, we would have took off uh, two and a half years. That's right. <laughs> so, all right. Cheers, everybody.
1: Cheers. So where we left off, we're at the start of our search and investigation for the disappearance of Beverly Rose Potts. Now, this would end up going down in history as one of the largest searches for a missing person in the Cleveland, Ohio history. Within hours, there are thousands of Clevelanders that are searching for this girl. The postal carriers are given a description of Beverly and posters with her picture are going up on utility poles and windows all over the city.
2: Yeah. And with that within hours, but you know, basically the start of the next day, exactly went missing at night.
1: Exactly. Um, now there were, there were a lot of eyewitnesses, a lot of supposed eyewitnesses in this case, Mm -hmm. as we had said, there were about 1500 people present at the park that evening. Now, unfortunately, out of those 15,000, I'm sorry, 1,500 people, out of those 1,500, there were not a lot that came forward with information to the police regarding having seen Beverly Potts Mm -hmm. or know her whereabouts or if they had seen her with somebody else. Um, So what what the police end up doing is we had said "This um, this was late August. Well, school was starting for these children in September. Now, the police don't know everybody that was in in attendance at that park that evening. So one thing that they do is they start going to Beverly school when school starts up in September to interview a lot of the kids that were her age to find out if they were in fact at the park that evening. And if they were, if they had seen anything now they get a lot of stories from these kids.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would, I would assume this presents a problem this ends you know, because, because a- first of all, cheers, it? <laughs> cheers. Uh, (laughs) No, but I think this would present a big problem because you're now asking kids to remember event that happened weeks ago Mm -hmm. and whether they were there or not, some people will just come forward because they want to be a part of the process and say that there were somewhere that they weren't at ever. So,
1: right, right. Well, and picture these kids. These are young kids that they're interviewing, right? Beverly
2: was 10 years old. Yeah,
1: they're interviewing nine, 10, 11 year old kids. And a lot of them had probably heard about this Mm -hmm. before they went back to school. And they're young. They don't really understand the situation and what's going on. Now, as said, there were thousands of Clevelanders out looking for this girl. So there's no way that they probably didn't hear about it. Uh, And in fact, a few days after uh, her disappearance, there was a a front page editorial that was entitled, let's all help look for the missing child. You know, so this was going on throughout the entire city. Everybody was aware of this. Now, when they sit down and they start talking to these kids, um, they are finding out that, you know, these are kids and teenagers. And the police figure out early into the goings on here that they need to be hesitant about some of the stories that they are hearing. In fact, a lot of these stories were they're hearing them. And they're as they're writing them down and taking their notes, mm-hmm. they're going. Well, this is not a likely story. This right, right. everything I'm hearing right now probably didn't happen. Um, you know, and, and in most of the cases, these ended up being proven lies that they were hearing from the children. Uh, you know, some of these kids they wanted mm-hmm. they, they may have wanted the attention, or some of them wanted to be a part of the whole thing. As we said, this was a very big story,
2: and maybe not flat out lies but just, you know, misspeaking or, you know, or misremembering. I mean, I don't think the kids' intentions were, you know, there was no malice behind it.
1: No, I agree. But, but you also have to keep in mind, too, maybe these kids, you know, were, were you at a park August 24th, you know, and you're, you're 9 or 10 or 11 years old and being asked this a week or two later, um the kids don't right. remember where they were 2 weeks before and and on top of that you know d- did you see Beverly Potts with anybody have you seen Beverly Potts since then maybe they don't know exactly who she is and then well she's a girl about your age and she's about this height and then uh-huh. you know kids kids i think naturally want to be helpful
2: well we have evidence though i mean we have evidence that um Beverly went to this park Often she was grounded before from going to this park and staying out too late. So we can just assume that this is a park that's frequented by the children Mm -hmm. that live in that area. Mm -hmm. So, did you see her at the park? Yes, I did. But was it that day? Maybe not.
1: Right. Right. And again, if they didn't know who she was and they're going, Oh, yeah, I did see a little girl that night. And I maybe I was at the park that exact night that you're asking me about. But there were 1,500 people there. There were a lot of little girls there. And at some point, Beverly Potts becomes the only important girl there that evening. And did you see her? Yes, I saw a little girl, and I saw her do this or that. Uh, one of the eyewitnesses, and we won't go through all of them, as we said, there's so many that were just bad leads. And unfortunately, the police had to follow up on most of them uh, if they if they were unable to determine if it was a lie or, or just a made-up story immediately. But one of the eyewitnesses was a nine-year-old girl. She had said that she saw... Beverly Potts get into a green car with two boys in it. Now this sounds like a good lead. However, no one else reported having seen this take place. Uh, and the boys themselves could not be identified by the eyewitness. And she was not able to provide a decent description of the vehicle or the boys themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that gives you an example of, of some of the eyewitness accounts that they were getting from the school aged children. Now maybe the last person to see Beverly, well, other than you know her murderer or abductor, as we could probably assume by now, uh, was Fred Kraus. Now he's a 13-year-old boy, and he recalled seeing Beverly at around 9:30. Okay, this would have been after the show wagon performance had ended, and everybody was kind of leaving the park at this time. And he said that he saw Beverly, and he. This is a, one account that they believe to be true because he said some things, mm-hmm. you know, details about this disappearance where he says, you know, I, well, how did you know it was Beverly? He said, I knew it was her right away because she walked funny and, and was able to tell that it was her. He was actually riding home on his bicycle from the park that night. And he said that he had, um, you know, was c- coming down the street mm-hmm. and she kind of jumped out of his way. So he could continue on his bike. Now he saw her. This would have been around nine thirty after the performance had ended and she was walking home alone. And the direction that he said she was heading would indicate to him and everybody else that she was in fact heading home.
2: Yeah. And this park, like we've, like we mentioned multiple times is it's less than a mile. It's 0.8 yeah, miles it's, away. It's from an our eighth house. of a mile. An eighth of a mile. Yeah. Okay. So, so really small window. And then he sees her at what distance, I mean, we could be talking that she was, that she went missing basically blocks from her house. Yeah. And how many blocks? I mean, if he's, you know, it could have been one block from her house. Right. That's what's so crazy about a lot of disappearing, you know, cases. It's just, you know, one minute they're there, one minute they're gone and in the proximity to her house that's that's crazy
1: and i believe his account to be true because one he saw her within feet of her you know it wasn't right, from right. across the
2: way and he's roughly her age so he would know who she was
1: and he he pointed out to the officers that he recognized he knew it was her he knew it was her from behind. He said when he came up on his bike, mm-hmm. he knew it was going to be her. her because, short hair. And- because she was walking funny. She had that, oh, right, that duck-, duck walk.
2: Right. And he's not saying, I saw a girl. <laughs> he's saying, I saw Beverly. Exactly. That's a big difference.
1: Exactly. Now, another thing that came into play here uh, that was that was bad for the police and bad for the investigation was two months after Beverly's disappearance, a man called the family. Now I need to set this up a little bit better here, okay? Because the at the time of her disappearance, they were receiving tips, and when I say yeah. they, I mean the police and the Potts family. Right? They're receiving tips that are being called into the police station and to the Potts family's household as well.
2: And you'll see later on. I mean, this is 1951, so I don't know if they tap the the Potts family house or not, but that's something you'll see later. I mean, if you think about the John Bonet Ramsey case, you know, the girl goes missing, then they set up, they start wiretapping the the house for any leads that might come in or some suspicious calls. But yeah. So, and this is also 1951 where people's numbers are normally listed.
1: Mm -hmm. And the cruel thing here is I'm going to fast forward past this, this incident for just a second, but the cruel thing here is eventually the Potts family they were in the phone book, and eventually they had to make their number unlisted right. because they were receiving harassing phone calls and uh, menacing phone calls. You know, people taunting them at some point with uh, pranksters. That's, that's ridiculous. This would take place. I, I think it might have been a year or so after the disappearance that they had to. Unlist I mean, think their about that phone number.
2: I mean, think about it. some sicko was just sitting there with their number, deciding. I got this. I got this prank to pull on the family and, mm-hmm. and it could have been anything. I mean, what are you thinking? Like, you know, like all oh, I have her, we want the ransom or all oh, I saw her, but I didn't see her. I mean, cause there's, there's also that Kate, that, that stuff happens too. you know, where a girl goes missing and some crazy loon that has no freaking life is sitting there going, well, what if I call them and tell them I saw her? Mm-hmm. Then I get to talk to somebody. You see what I'm saying? Oh yeah. There's there's sickos out there.
1: Well, and and you know there were there was a journalist and an investigator that I read about it, regarding this case specifically that said that for some reason the disappearance of Beverly Potts brought out every nut pot nutcracker cracker out of the woodwork, right? Uh, because they were receiving Did you just so say many nutcracker. I think I right. yeah.
2: Uh, I said nutcracker earlier. And that's what that slipped in yeah. there.
1: Um, But they were receiving so many calls, and they estimate that they were receiving about a 1,000 phone calls a day between the Potts household and the police department. Now, this makes it very hard to uh, investigate this case, Um, but one such incident was this. This was two months after the disappearance. As I said, a man had called the family. And demanded a $25,000 ransom for the safe return of Beverly Potts. Okay. And he said, he said that we have your daughter and, um, that if we do not get the $25,000 ransom, mm-hmm. we are going to slit her throat. So now a threat is made, a ransom is demanded. And the way that this was to go down is that the family was to deliver. They're not to involve the police, right? Uh-huh. They are to deliver the that's cash. how it
2: always goes down, right don't
1: if you tell the police, we're going to kill her.
2: That's normally what happens,
1: yeah, I think that's pretty standard uh ransom template, yeah, right but there. how many
2: times do the do the parents then just call the the police
1: yeah can can you imagine being in that situation to do, you know yeah, my gut know. would say get the police involved i I think you know, I don't know that well, I would yeah. Mel Gibson it and just is that the Mel Gibson yeah, movie ransom. where he just does it on his own?
2: Yeah, but the that's the strange thing too. I mean, you know, uh, being a parent if you're you know, if you're a parent and you get this call and we have your daughter and and obviously you want her home safe and you just want this nightmare to be over with and don't contact the police. Wouldn't there be like I mean, your gut instinct is okay, let's call the police. But isn't there a part of you going, what do these people know? And hmm. are they going to know? I contacted the police, and in how many cases was there a ransom? A parent contacted the police, and then that ended up causing the death of the child. Right. You know, and then and and then, you know, the regret that you'd feel of that.
1: Well, presumably, you know, one would think that the ransom is only as good as as the living, uh, you know, person that I'm holding. To, to to give back in in, in favor for right, the right. money. If, if if I if I kill the 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 victim or the hostage, then I'm not going to receive my ransom. But I see what you're saying. These right, things right. get screwed up and they go wrong. Now the Potts family did let the police know about this ransom that was called. Okay, in. and what they were told, you know, they were told with the threat about the daughter's life, but they were told to deliver twenty five thousand dollars in cash to a specific address that was not terribly far from their neighborhood. Now they involved the police, which
2: the park is not far from the neighborhood. So now you're making this connection where, well, this is now something that might be likely. Mm -hmm.
1: Now the the Potts family, they lived in a, in a decent area. It was a regular middle-class family, but it's not one that you would look at this family and assume that they got a bunch of money to just pay out for to, to have their child returned. Um, what they end up doing is uh, one of the detectives, he dresses up uh, like Mrs. Potts it, because Mrs. Pot, Potts was the one that was told to deliver deliver the money. Right, right. So he puts on like this, I don't know, like a trench coat or like a, a fur coat, you know, something that, you, mm-hmm. that looks like a women's coat. Uh, and he ties his hair up, you know, with the.
2: Well, guys don't wear fur coats.
1: Uh, I, well, some of them do. You know, but m- this looked money like a weather. woman's coat.
2: Connor McGregor, Joe Namath,
1: they yeah <laughs> these are three
2: guys that like to wear fur coats.
1: Uh, and so he dressed himself up to appear to be a woman. Now I've seen pictures <laughs> of this man dressed. I'm sorry to laugh, but <laughs> I've seen him dressed as a woman, and he is he's kind of a larger, big hands, athletic looking man. Uh, that I don't know that he would have passed for don't look Elizabeth Potts.
0: Don't look at me, I'm hideous.
1: Well, apparently, whomever he was to deliver the money to. Uh, picked up on this and saw the detective coming. Now, yeah,
2: well, when you see a guy that looks like a linebacker and a fur coat, you start going, well, I don't know, I don't... And if this person lived in the area, then we could also assume if this is a legitimate ransom note, a legitimate kidnapping, that this person probably knew of the Potts' family yeah. and what the lady looked like. The only thing that gets a little weird about this is, like we said, she was a tall kid, so maybe uh, the mother was a tall lady herself. But again, she probably didn't look like a linebacker right? with right. sausage fingers, <laughs> you know, giant sausage fingers coming at you, and you're going, wait a second.
1: Well, and it turns out that this man that was seeking the ransom, he didn't actually live at the address that he was requesting them to go to. He gave right. them a specific date, specific time to give the money, hand it off to this person.
2: Well, what's so crazy is you know criminals are normally stupid, so it wouldn't it wouldn't baffle me or blow my mind if you told me, oh, he actually lived there, you know, yeah, but right. you know, but he yeah he did the the smarter thing as a criminal to just give you some address, you
1: know. So the detective dresses up like uh, Mrs. Potts, mm-hmm. and he they fill a bag. Um This is to be the money bag that he's going to hand off. They filled the bag with shredded newspaper and yeah. a five, a single five dollar bill. Which I'm not certain why they included any money at all, but uh, I don't know. Maybe if they had to open up the bag and you want them to see some kind of money, right. um, but five bucks is as much as they could scrape together for this sting operation.
2: But you know, being a banker, you know, you, uh, I was a vault teller. So what would happen is uh, normally Tuesdays. They'd come in with a big bag of money, right? And they drop off the bag of money. Then I have to count all the money to make sure that we got the correct amount of money uh, from that the money service. And you'd be surprised. Sometimes you'd just, you know, order hundreds and fifties and you know, ten grand would look tiny, mm-hmm. you know, or a hundred thousand could look just like a brick. You know, so in these movies where they open up a suitcase and it's just filled, you know, and it looks like oh, this is a hundred thousand bucks, like I've seen a hundred thousand bucks and depending on what denomination of money it comes in, it can be quite small. Right. And you start looking like that hundred thousand, you can slip in your pocket and maybe, you know, invest that into some recording equipment and start a podcast. I'm not saying that happened. I'm just saying <laughs> that it's a possibility. The man that is to receive the money, he
1: knows something is is going on here when he sees the person that is supposed to be Elizabeth Potts right. walking toward the the address to give
0: him the okay. Money.
2: So I just I'm just making this clear for myself. So the guy that is su- supposedly holding this girl for ransom right. is now suspicious of the linebacker in the fur coat. Right. The linebacker with the sausage fingers and the fur coat is now suspicious of the ransom guy because this girl that is walking with him that is supposed to be. Beverly. No, no, no. Okay.
1: No. I think you mis- misunderstood okay. me. It gets confusing because because I keep referring to the, the detective who's mm-hmm. dressed as a woman as a she once in a while. <laughs> okay. So there I- there is actually no she in this situation. Okay. The detective is supposed to be Elizabeth Potts, the mother. Okay. Because the ransom person did not want any males around, did not want Mr. Potts mm-hmm. delivering the money because Mr. Potts might be able to overtake him. Uh, right. It, you know, and take the guy down. Uh, so he requests that Elizabeth Potts bring the money to this address at this time on this date. Okay. The detective dresses up as a woman. Right. Trying to look like Mrs. Potts. Mm. He's going there with the bag of cut up newspaper and a $5 bill. Right. And before he can get to the address, the man that is waiting there okay. freaks out because the this does not look like a woman.
2: Right. He's a linebacker.
1: And so he takes off on foot. Okay, And what ends up happening is the detective ends up chasing the guy down and he he makes an arrest.
2: Yeah, good for him.
1: They're able to figure out after talking to the guy and going through the guy's home and his vehicles and things like that, that Uh this guy had nothing to do with the disappearance of Beverly Potts.
2: Right, just again, a sicko getting involved and maybe trying to go, hey, I got this great idea to get $25,000.
1: You're exactly right. He was a guy that was heavily in debt. He saw what he thought of as an opportunity and he took that opportunity to try to extort money from parents of, of a missing child. Yeah. Um, and of course he ends up they, getting, you know,
2: they, they should tack on years for that. You're exactly right. You know, I th- I like believe not only was your crime stupid, mm-hmm. but you know, you're now affecting a grieving family and a grieving community and you're wasting taxpayers time and money by getting this linebacker to wear a fur coat and chase your ass down and tackle you. we're going to tack on three years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're preventing justice from taking place because you're, you're getting involved in the investigation Mm -hmm. and you're taking up the police's time that they could be out. You know, they're a thousand calls a day. uh, They had other calls to go out on. And this is a sting operation. This isn't something that they Mm -hmm. just threw together in five minutes. They probably spent a little bit of time coming up with what is our best solution here? Do we actually send Elizabeth Potts with $25,000 and just hope that, she gets her daughter back or do we intervene? Um, so he ends up getting charged with extortion and, um, you know, all kinds of other things I'm sure. And I I hope that in this situation, if they don't currently, they should, as Mm -hmm. the captain says, tack on extra years for, for that kind of shameful behavior. Um, but this just shows you the things that the police had to deal with in this investigation. Yeah. But one thing I do want to bring up too here, captain is, We talked about this ransom. Now, you know, for all the other true crime fans out there, the true crime lovers that that spend their time reading and looking things up on the Internet and reading these different books or watching old documentaries, you you know that back Mm -hmm. in the day and, you know, I'm referring to the 30s, 40s, 50s back then. It was more expected to receive a ransom than it is in current times. You know, unfortunately, in current times, when we see a child or some, or an adult go missing, we either expect that they're going to turn up soon, or that they've they've were taken and we might not hear from them again. Right. Um, but back in the day, they actually it was more commonplace to receive a ransom, and a and probably lot probably a
2: lot of them being false.
1: Well. You're you're onto something there, but a lot of them were in fact true. You know, a lot of people. This is how some of the the poorer folks made some money. Right. You know, that they they, w- they would be out and they would they would abduct a wealthy person's child and return them unharmed and trade for ten grand or twenty grand or whatever it was that happened. More often, but just like Mm -hmm. the captain said, because sometimes that doesn't happen because sometimes people take another person for other reasons other than a ransom that sometimes other people would just call in a ransom and hope to get something out of this tragedy. Um, Usually in a situation, though, when when a ransom is demanded, it's usually fairly quickly after the abduction. You know, it's not often that you see two months go by before the ransom comes about. And I think that this is the police doing good detective work and using their knowledge. And they probably presumed that this was not, uh, may not end well. And that might be why they didn't advise the Potts family to actually pay the ransom. Maybe this is why they didn't advise Elizabeth Potts to go and hand off the money herself. Um, and that's why they intervened.
2: So we got this, this lead just kind of comes to crash And we get this guy in jail now, but do we have any other good leads that like anything solid?
1: Well, another good bit of detective work that the police did was they did fully investigate the Potts family, Um, you know, as difficult as that can be. But you do have to rule out the immediate family as quick as possible so you can go on to other possible suspects.
2: Well, yeah, but one, we don't have a body, right? We don't have a body and we have no we have three people at the house that it's it's not like again I'm going to bring up the Jamine Ramsey case but in that case we have a we have a dead girl while the family is all there mm-hmm. so they become i think more prime suspects than in this case
1: Yeah, but the other thing, I just want to make sure I pointed that out, too, because often we will hear, you know, you see this on Dateline or other shows where they're like, you know, this person went missing or or so-and-so turned up dead. Right. And uh, by the way, they didn't investigate the family until months and months after the fact.
2: Right, right, right. Uh,
1: This was not the case here. So there's no reason to believe that. Uh, Mr. And, Potts or Mrs. Potts or her s- sister had anything to do with yeah. with this crime at all.
2: It's a difficult situation for the cops in. yeah, you know, because here's this girl going missing, and the, it's tragic, and there's a lot of emotions going, and a lot of emotions that are there that are coming at the family, and then you have to then say, hey, I got to question you. Mm-hmm. What's your involvement?
1: And one thing that I've always done on my own when I'm looking at a missing person's case with a missing child case, I should be very clear about this, but you know, you can find these stories of missing children that have never surfaced, that we've never seen them ever again after that, that last time they were seen. Right. But one thing I always like to do when I'm looking at a case like that is I like to see what the parents did with their lives after the fact, because I'll clue you, you know, I'll throw this at you. Like there, there was a case that took place in Michigan. Now this would have been in the late eighties and we won't get into this whole case, but the short of it is the son went missing uh-huh. and I found the circumstances to be a little strange and maybe had, had a feeling maybe the father could have been involved in it because of where he was last seen and such mm-hmm. things of that nature. The family moved away. like, they moved away like nine or ten months after the son had disappeared.
2: Yeah, which is weird because you would assume that you know if he if there's a chance of him coming home. Yeah, you know you want to give that you know a bunch of windows, and it's kind of like the John uh, Johnny Gosh case as well too. Look at look at the the path the mother took and the path that the father took, and a lot of people now speculate that the father was involved because of his actions afterwards. So same thing that you're doing.
1: Yeah, and I mean. You know, you see this time and time again where you have a child that's gone missing and they're missing for an extensive amount of time. And you might hear an interview with the parents 10 or 11 years later and they say, we've not moved. We've thought about moving because the memories are so hard for us to deal with. Yeah, but yeah. but we would not be able to live with ourselves if if the chance that our daughter or son got away from whomever and tried to come home and, and we weren't there. Right. You know, if they didn't know any other means of contacting us. Uh, they wouldn't be able to live with themselves. So this was not the situation with the Potts family. I'll go ahead and throw that out there. Uh, The Potts family remained in the home for many, many years. And as said, they were cleared pretty quickly by the police. The other thing that the police did was they searched the neighborhoods because we know she was on foot. And the thought would have been, this is one thing that we didn't cover when we were talking about her characteristics. She was very shy uh, and almost to the point of being afraid of men and older boys. Um, they had said on multiple occasions, you know, if approached by a man or an older boy, mm-hmm. that she was likely to walk away or run away from a situation. Okay. And her parents had raised her to be. Uh, w- well, she was very obedient one and, and a polite young, young child. But they yeah, were,
2: and more. Uh, this is not common these days.
1: Yeah, and they, they they had raised her as well to be weary of men and, and boys. Mm-hmm. Um, so once the police had this information, they were immediately worried about this because it she was not likely to go off with somebody. She didn't have that right. personality. So the police were working under a couple different theories. One, that she either was taken by somebody that knew her or that she somewhat knew Uh, or that she was, she would have been lured into a vehicle or to a car, but it would most likely have to be somebody she was somewhat familiar with that. They didn't expect her to just get in a car with a random, Yeah,
2: possibly, or by physical force.
1: Yeah. And, and she, I guess, even though being young, you know, even as young as she was, she was known to have babysat for different neighbors in the, in the area. Um, Right. So so, that would
2: give her a bunch of connections and a bunch of possibilities of uh, suspects, really.
1: And one one police theory that they were working off of that maybe she was maybe she was coaxed into a house with the thought of maybe being offered a babysitting job.
2: Yeah. Or just it's this, uh, you know, dad of a kid that you watch multiple Mm -hmm. times and you're walking home and he just says, hey, Beverly, come in here for a second. And then, of course, he's not a stranger. And then you're also thinking, like, you know, this is somewhat my employer, so I need to, uh, you know, comply with his requ- with his request.
1: So not only did they go door to door and ask the people living there if they had seen anything or witnessed anything mm-hmm. that evening or since, uh, but they have they've also were requesting to enter the homes and to you know casually look around. Uh, to see if there was anything that was of suspicious be- nature right um, and m- the majority of the people seem to comply with this um it, 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 it must have been so much of the majority that it almost sounds like when you read different newspaper accounts of this investigation mm-hmm. that it sounds like everybody was opening their doors um but but they do specifically say uh, those who who agreed to do such another suspect is William Henry Redman. He was a carnival worker who died in 1992. He had a long criminal record for child molestation. This beginning when he was a young boy, uh, but he for about had been 13 awaiting years old, right? Yeah, he had been awaiting trial for the 1951 murder of an eight-year-old girl. Her name was Jane Elthop. Now he had died before they could convict him of this.
2: Well, but this is where it gets a little sketchy because. He died in 1992. Correct. And the murder took place in 51. Yes. So it took him a long time to bring this man to trial.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It took a long time. And while he was, you know, he had a cellmate that he had, he had told that he had killed Jane as well as three other little girls. Mm-hmm. Um, we should point out though, that uh, the authorities did question him regarding the Beverly Potts case. This took place in 1988 uh, he did refuse to make a statement either way about her disappearance. Um, he did pass a polygraph uh, in connection to another unsolved disappearance of a girl from Connecticut. Uh, but this was a man, as said, he was a carnival worker, so he traveled around. Right. And he had given these, you know, this these accounts to the cellmate that he had abducted and killed four girls. Now, while awaiting for this trial, the, the thing here is the cellmate— believes that he had heard um he, he had heard that William Henry Redmond call, you know, say Beverly's name. Yeah. Uh, he couldn't say for certain if it was Beverly Potts, but he believes that the girl that he was describing uh sounded like Beverly Potts. However, I believe Redmond said that he had killed the girl in nineteen fifty two. So he could have been off because, you know, he's telling this story years and years later. Right. Um, however, he He could have simply, unfortunately, killed a different girl at a different location in 1952.
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, he could get mixed up on the time. I mean, it's not that far off. I mean, month wise. Um, And again, like I said, he could have abducted this girl. If he's a carnival worker, he's traveling from town to town. He's not going to know who the girl's name is. And yes, you would hear this stuff in your local news. But, you know, this stuff wasn't national news back in 51. You know, a girl went missing. In Cleveland, Ohio, they're not bringing it up. There's not Nancy Gray Saint, you know, she's not going to go do three months on this missing girl.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, after William Redmond dies, you know, he passes away in 92. He's on trial for this, the death of this young girl. Uh, but things get weirder even after he passes away, um, you know, because he he's suspected of possibly being Beverly Potts's killer. In 1994, a letter was discovered underneath the carpet of a house on Midvale Avenue on the West side of Cleveland. This is near the neighborhood of Beverly Potts. The letter was written in 1960 by a woman who claimed that she had caught her woman disposing of Beverly's body in their furnace. Now using real estate records, the police identified and tracked down the writer of the letter. Okay. Uh, who was at the time eighty three when they tracked her down by nineteen ninety four? Her husband had de- had been passed away for some time. The woman did admit to writing the letter, but she had said that the story was untrue. That she had wrote the story as a it's listed as an as an, a revenge against her husband because he he physically abused her for years. Right. Um, however, I I believe that it was you know the long of it is it's it's not really revenge. I think she, her abuse might been, have been so bad right. that maybe she believed he, he could possibly end up killing her one day. Mm-hmm. And had that taken place, maybe she wrote this letter as something to kind of leave lying around for someone to find if she were not around anymore. You see what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, I see that. But it's... You know, you, you, look... It, <laughs> And I've said it before, and I always get called a feminist. Uh, I'm just a dude, man. I'm just a ca- I'm just the captain. But uh, look, if some if a guy's hating you, get the, get out of there. There's plenty of nice guys that want to take care of you, that want to protect you. Get get away from those fucking losers. Okay. No, I I agree. I right, agree. but but so I feel for this lady, but at the same time, you're going to bring into this this girl's case and this girl's family. And then, so, yeah, okay, so let's say, hypothetically, something does happen to you, and and so there's this letter lying around, and he goes to jail because of this, and there's not much evidence. What's, mm-hmm. What is there connecting? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then this poor family, you know, gets dragged into this, thinking that they might get some closure for their missing daughter. You know, protect yourself. Stay away from fucking losers. You know, there's plenty of guys out there that will take care of you. But don't drag into, you know, a missing girl's family into this.
1: I agree. But, but we can also, you know, possibly assume here that if she was going willing to go to such extreme lengths to um, to, you know, get justice against her husband, you know, for killing her, if right. she thought that he All could right. possibly kill her, that maybe she felt that this situation was one that she was unable to leave or didn't feel safe. uh, leaving.
2: So, but at the end of the day, she says this, this letter has no truth to it. Correct.
1: Correct. And, and her husband had been dead for some time at that, that point. She may have forgotten about this letter because they had to track her down. You know, they found this underneath a rug Mm -hmm. at, at the home that she once lived. Um, and in 19, um, I apologize. We're all the way up to the year 2000. Uh, In In the year
2: 2000,
1: an unidentified individual wrote two letters to the Cleveland Plain Dealer reporter, uh, to a reporter at the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Uh, the, The writer stated that he was dying and he had confessed to molesting and murdering Beverly the night that she had vanished. The letter's author promised that he would turn himself in to the police on August 24th, 2001. This would be the 50th anniversary of Beverly's disappearance.
2: Wow. But, wow. but
1: but shortly before this date, a third letter was sent to the Cleveland Plain dealer. This is saying that he had to go to a nursing home and mm-hmm. thus he was going to not be able to keep his promise revealing his identity or turning himself in. I actually read uh, one of the letters. I was able to find one of the letters. I mm-hmm. wish I could have found all three, but I read one and he basically states that he had lived in the neighborhood okay and he had seen her and always been kind of infatuated with her uh he you know we noted earlier that she was tall and he 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 said that he thought she was a little bit older uh but he was infatuated with her and when he saw her walking home that night by herself he saw this as an opportunity for him to to take her and um you know, he he says that I'm only writing this to you because I'm in my twilight years, that I'm at the end of the end of my life right. and that um that he wanted to turn himself in.
2: Right. And so he felt bad.
1: I believe he, I believe he even gave his age as eighty three years old, uh, at okay. the time that he wrote that letter. And so, he stated. so what
2: does that put him in fifty one? Oh, uh, so well, it would have been uh, he
1: was trying to turn himself in on the 50th anniversary so that would have put him at about 32 okay th- you know early 30s
2: yeah so uh, roughly our her, age
1: her disappearance and uh and
2: no but i'm just saying like yeah to get the mental state of where this guy was at i mean he's in his 30s and he has this obsession or you know he says uh Oh, what was his term? Was? He
1: said he was infatuated he, yeah, with, the, he with has an, Beverly Potts. Right, he
2: has an infatuation, but he's 30-some years old and has an infatuation with a 10-year-old. year, old. 10 year old. Even if she looks a little older, it she's 12? Right, right. Right.
1: right. Um, he, he had said that he would turn himself in at the park, at Holleran Park. He was going to go there on the 50th anniversary, and they could arrest him there. Okay. And he would confess to the crimes. Um upon that uh, upon that date and as said he he states that he he had to go to a um a nursing home i believe that he said that he had he had got cancer or his cancer was progressing um mm-hmm. and that he needed to go to the nursing home and would be unable to keep his promise Uh, turning himself in. Now the authorities did launch an extensive investigation to identify the author of the letters, but they were never able to ascertain anything beyond that. The letters were all written by the same person and that their author was probably an elderly infirm man. Um, The many investigators believe that the correspondence was genuine. um, And if, I've seen the letters. They're written in cursive with a shaky hand. Um, right. I don't know that that means that it has to be an old person, but I think that that's what they're basing um, some of this information off of.
2: Yes, this is pretty interesting, though. So we have two letters that are basically setting up the, you know, him turning himself in, then yeah. a third letter apologizing. Yeah. And he was picking the area. He was picking the anniversary. Mm-hmm. Again, stuff that you could just look up off the internet. Again, this could just be, I mean, where do you fall on this? Because I mean, a part of me goes I yeah, the gut feeling, some sicko that's just lonely. But if you toss in that this guy might be 80 some years old, do you do you really think an 80 year old would just be doing this to get attention? No. It, no I mean, no. it seems like it lines up with the idea of I'm coming to my end and I need to confess to this for for some kind of forgiveness or Right. Remorse. I need to show remorse
1: like a de- a deathbed confession. But I'm going to confess now before while I still have all my mental capabilities and I and I can be honest right, and right. come come clear with this. Um, I don't know. I I hate to think that it's a hoax. Uh, you would think that after 50 years that you might be able to get an answer. I but but I but again, if it's a deathbed mm-hmm. confession, you almost think that somebody would carry through with this and turn themselves right, in, right, right. Um, so I kind of lean on the side of a hoax.
2: Yeah, but it could have been it could have been as simple as the guy has, you know, my cancer is getting worse, and he talks to somebody he says, yeah, they do take care of you in prison, mm-hmm. but the care is going to be very minimal.
1: Yeah, and it, it, this was not the first um, correspondence that they were receiving. You know, the Cleveland Plain Dealer they immediately sent the uh, letters to the police. They did not post these in their newspaper. Well, and
2: this is 2001, so at this point, they're probably even being sent to the FBI.
1: Yeah, and they didn't put put this in their newspaper because they were worried if they put it in the newspaper before the 50th anniversary that the man wouldn't actually turn himself in. So there was no involvement with media other than doing the proper thing by passing along the letters to the police. They didn't get involved and then hinder this man from turning himself in now this wouldn't be the first correspondence that investigators had with somebody who claimed to either be the killer or know the killer um back in the i believe it was the 70s there was a man that came forward that wrote letters well i shouldn't say he came forward Mm -hmm. but he had some form of correspondence with the police and said that his brother had done the killing now they there was an auto body shop uh, in the neighborhood now keep in mind this is the 70s so you're talking about 20 years after the crime right but this this person had said that the brother did the killing and that the body was buried in the basement uh this would have been a home at one time and that the brother supposedly lived at the home kidnapped her and killed her and buried her in the basement right. well they went they went by they in the 70s they went to this body shop and they dug up the good concrete for floor yeah, good for them. And I mean, they went, I think, I think the newspaper said they went four feet down, you know, so they went pretty far down right. before they realized there was nothing there. There was nothing. This was, this was another hoax in this situation. Now we're not completely Again, out of not, hope. Not,
2: not necessarily a hoax though. I mean, it might, you know, the, the brother actually might've believed this, mm-hmm. you know,
1: um, there is some form of hope here though. And I know it sounds crazy because we're talking about, you know, 60 60 years has passed
2: right
1: um, over 60 years has passed and we don't have any answers but
2: we still have the letters so I mean we can try to do DNA testing and this guy might have been in the system by then in 2001
1: well in 2015 somebody had called Crime Stoppers an anonymous caller called Crime Stoppers and gave some information to Crime Stoppers regarding the disappearance and murder of Beverly Potts okay. now this is very strange because this is so many years later. Well, what Crime Stoppers did was they actually increased the reward amount um, that they were offering for information on Beverly Potts. Why? Because when they gave the information to investigators, the investigators made a public plea that, you know, using the newspaper and using news sources, uh-huh. they made a public plea to have the caller please call back that you can remain anonymous. You, you right. can contact us on the website if you like, but we need to hear from you again because they believed that some of the information they received, they didn't feel like this was a hoax. I don't know what information they received. They didn't say, you know, they weren't outright with, with information that they received, well, but right. there was something in there that they were, a, they were latching onto and they wanted to hear from this person again, again, increasing the reward amount um, to this date Um, You know, that was mid uh, last year, mid 2015. So it's been over a year and we've not heard back from this anonymous person.
2: Well, and and the frustrating thing for true crime fans is, you know, it's an ongoing case. It's an open case. So a lot of times the police department will not, uh, you know, release this information. And that's difficult as a a fan of the genre, but uh, we all understand that as far. But sometimes I understand it, but sometimes I get a little frustrated because it's like, maybe there is one thing that if you tossed out to the public it would it would spark yeah. you know some you know interest or some conversation or something and we could solve a, a, you know this case that's been going on for 30 or 60 some years
1: yeah yeah and i i think it's even you know for me at the end of the day do do i have an idea what i think happened well <laughs> uh, it's hard to think that somebody took her and then raised her as their own you know this being so many years later and and we haven't heard anything or any new information come out regarding that. The police did have a very tough investigation that there was, you're not talking about a whole lot of evidence. You know, you're talking about a whole lot of people and not really any eyewitnesses. Um, uh, the the thing that I keep going back to over and over again in my head is who is that plump little lady right. uh, that had her hand on her shoulder. I, I believe her friend, um, I believe that this would be such a severe thing for this young child, for this Patricia Swing, to have experienced that I believe that she would be telling absolutely the, either the truth or something she believed to be the truth. Maybe she didn't see that, but maybe maybe she thought she saw that. Right. Um, but the thing here is, we talked about and how- it, And
2: it could have been something as simple as this lady was behind her and the hand wasn't just, on the shoulder. Yeah. Or she just, just happen
1: or, or, or happened to bump into her and just said, Oh, sorry, honey. Right, and right. kept walking. And that was know. the light. Right. Yeah. But, but the, but the thing, curious thing here is the Potts family did say that Beverly would have been weary of men and older boys. And mm-hmm. so the police did have a theory that maybe she was enticed by a woman that a woman could have been involved in the abduction. Um, But as said, there was that tip that came out last year. Hopefully we hear something uh, about this because this was one of the biggest uh, cases and it still haunts um, some of the Cleveland area to this day.
2: Well, what a great way to start uh, season four. You go back to Ohio. That's right. I I keep telling people you're going to get away from Ohio so people will start visiting. You know that our... Uh, you know, people taking vacations to Ohio have, has gone down since we started the podcast. <laughs> uh, unfortunately,
1: these things are happening in, in everywhere. Um, uh-huh. and we, we happen to cover more Ohio cases because we know of them. Um, and, uh, but I do want to, you mind, I want to throw out a little safety tip here, captain okay okay so as our listeners know uh we have been involved in the past and will continue to be involved with the national center for missing and exploited children now um they have something that that has recently come out called it's a safety app it's a free it's a free app to download for itunes or iphone and android devices Mm -hmm. um and it's called safety central so I won't go through the entire bit of it, but I recommend if you have children or if you're a grandparent, uh, you know that you you put this on your phone, and it's it's basically it's an identification kit for the children that are special to you, for the children that you know and that you care about. And you're going to be able to put important information about each child on there, as well as a photo. Uh, We had discussed earlier if there is a disappearance of a child. Unfortunately, you know, hopefully nobody ever has to experience this. But right. if, if you find yourself in this situation, you do not want to lose valuable minutes and hours trying to find these things for the police. Now, thankfully, we live in a digital age, so there's a lot more pictures being taken right. of
2: people. So, And not only pictures, but videos now.
1: Yeah. So it's, a, it's more commonplace today that you would have an updated photo. But what your ID kit will do, again, this is Safety Central. Uh, get the free app. But what it will do is it will remind you every so often to update the photo of the right. child. And the information the and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I recommend checking that out.
2: And like always, if we get any new information on this case, we'll dive right back into it. And uh, if you know anything, right, either we, you can contact us at the blog yeah. on uh, truecrimegarage.com. And uh, what's this week's recommended Reading.
1: Well, and it, also, if you want to remain anonymous, you can contact uh, Crime Stoppers. You know, they're looking for information as well. Recommended reading for this week is The Maniac in the Bushes, True Crimes and Disasters from the Streets of Cleveland, and More Tales of Cleveland Woe by John Stark Bellamy II. Um, this is an interesting book. Uh, mm-hmm. It does it does talk about the Beverly Potts disappearance. Um, there's lots of photos in here. People like the, the different photos for... Uh, the true crime stuff. But there also is the uh, torso killer is covered in this book as well, which has been a case that's been recommended to us, oh, about a million times. Um, so if you want to check out uh, more cases from Ohio, specifically the Cleveland area, check out The Maniac in the Bush- Bushes by John Stark Bellamy II. And you can do that by going to our website, truecrimegarage.com, and click on the recommended page. And thank you for everybody joining us in the garage this week to help us kick off season four. We will see you right back here in the garage next week. We're going to do it all over again. Yes, We're not sir. taking a break. Make sure you tell a friend, tell 10 friends. And have, if you have not already subscribed to the show and cheers mates, that's right. Until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter.